Hi, and welcome to the new series within the podcast, which is for inspiring creatives, sensitives, and change makers, where I'll be having conversations with people who create change in their own lives and in the lives of others. This series is going to be a number of conversations with special guests, and these are people who I've met, um, sometimes know as friends, and they are guests who are inspiring in their message and their experiences. So we're going to look at what they're currently creating, and also a little bit about the journey of their experiences. I'm so thrilled that the first podcast episode in conversation is with Vimla Sharma, whose work centres around trauma resolution. And she does this in a number of ways using a number of healing modalities, which she discusses in the podcast episode. She discusses growing up in Nairobi and Ayurvedic medicine and wise elders. She also talks about massage and how she was taught by her mother, as were her brothers and sisters. And she's very open and honest about personal life events and the devastating griefs that she's experienced in her life. And also how this has led her on a journey through homeopathy and craniosacral therapy. Also the shamanic path in Peru and she talks about grief recovery and also the sea, the universe and so much more. And I feel so honoured to have been chatting to Vimla. Um, she is also a friend of mine and it was so wonderful to be able to listen to what an intriguing and inspiring life and I'm sure that you will find it intriguing too and details of how to contact Vimy will be underneath this podcast episode. I will be putting her email address there. Thanks so much and I hope you enjoy. Hi Vimy. Oh hi Rowena, how lovely to see you again. <laughs> lovely to see you. <laughs> and Thank how are you? you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And um, this is really an exciting um, venture that we're going to embark on. I feel that, you know, because the veils are so thin between the worlds, I feel the time is now and it feels mm -hmm. like the right time to be um, talking to you really at this moment. Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely. Yes. And there's such an excitement around all of this. And I'm so happy to have you here. Um, and Vimy, I'm really intrigued by the work you do. And I know that you specialize in certain healing modalities. And I was just wondering if you could chat a little bit about these and then we'll look at other areas later on. Yeah, um, if I was to start, Rowena, um, <laughs> we all have our journeys and sometimes, you know, we have roadblocks in the journeys, you know, we're going, we have um, sleeping policemen, <laughs> if you like, <laughs> to wake yeah, us up. Yeah. And um, the journey has been a truly empowering one, but also not without some difficulties and trials and tribulations um, on its way. I was brought up <coughs> in Africa, grew up in Africa till I was eight in Nairobi. And my mother uh, and father, you know, are from a background of Ayurveda, which is the oldest system of healing and working with plants and medicine. So we never went to a doctor since I was a child in Africa. Um, of course, we went to a witch doctor, which is what we'd call a shaman in these mm -hmm. days, like a wise uh, tribal um, healer who was there to help all the, there were the elders, there were the midwives who looked after people, you know, so you went to them um, for their medicine, for their wise words, and, and they worked between all different planes, if you see the physical, the body, uh, emotional, and spirit. And they worked very much with one foot here in this world and one foot 
in another world with the universe, if you like, or God or your higher self, whatever one likes to call it. I'm quite comfortable with the word God. Um, some people may not be, but you know, it's your higher self or whatever one wants to believe. But having grown up with uh, plants and things like that. So mom, whenever we had bumps and bruises, she would run out into the garden and collect herbs and make poultices. And I was a child who was a very sickly child, very skinny child, <laughs> not anymore, but <laughs> you know what it's like. And then um, I used to get tonsillitis a lot. And oh, it was a bit of a trauma going through um, this kind of medicine at some times. But the results afterwards were immediate and I healed so well that it was worth going through it, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so my mum would collect herbs and make poultices and which were hot. And then she would put them around my throat where the tonsils were swollen or the glands were swollen. And within hours of this, you know, my glands would come, they weren't swollen anymore, there was no infection in them anymore, and it was almost like a miracle. And I don't know, so I suppose I've been brought up with that in mind. And then uh, we moved to um, England in the 60s, and before Idi Amin took over Uganda, we lived in um, Nairobi, and we came over in 67. And... Um, and then, you know, life was just very different in England. Um, I'd never seen snow in my life. I used to pick up snow and eat it because I thought it was, something, it was like ice cream and it would just melt in your mouth. I'd never seen bloody wellies you know, and a rat. And all, all that kind of thing and you and dad had to go out and buy us wellies and anoraks and the weather was so like cold and grey and oh where have I come you know we'd left the sun behind and and the journey you know and it took me wherever it took me and it was like mum had taught me um how to massage simply because we used to watch her and I'm the seventh child, the youngest, and I've got a younger sister, one of eight, you know, I was. And, um, and so mum used to massage and trained my eldest sister because she was one of the older girls, the skills were passed down mm -hmm. and she used to massage. And uh, so we used to watch and we were taught how to massage. So I had to massage my younger sister. And then when my brother had children, we had to massage <laughs> my nephews and nieces. And then when I had my own children, it, it's just automatic. It's mm -hmm. just what you do from day one of the birth of the child. And uh, no wonder my son was walking at nine months. And then I thought, <laughs> I went massage the second one. Because so <laughs> 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 it was a handful, you know. <laughs> and uh, But it has its good points as well. So um, what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you've kind of got this in your blood, it's just there and you know it's there and you just use these tools or skills or knowledge or wisdom. And I'd like to look at it as like, it is wisdom. It was all the wisdom from my mother, from her grandmother, from the elders, from the tribal community that I grew up in, in Africa. And so the journey just began and it was in my thirties when I was, going through huge changes in my life and um, um, a not a very happy marriage. It was an arranged marriage. And um, I wanted to sort of separate from this um, marriage. And I had two children, two boys who were five and two and a half at the time, very young. And I was unhappy in my job. And I just remembered my mum saying, because she passed away by this time, um, if you're ever unhappy and you don't know what to do with your life, you always have your hands. And that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, yeah, what am I going to do? I'm going to go and learn massage. Well, not that I needed to learn massage. Mum taught me massage. But when you live in this country, you have to go and have certificates. You have to have insurances. It's not like living in India or growing up in Africa where it's just all just happens organically and you know but here you have rules and all around mm -hmm. all these mm -hmm. things and regulations 
So I went and enrolled, um, I went through a divorce and I went back to college and studied and did massage and aromatherapy and all these lovely therapies that, you know, physical, hands-on. And uh, I was very much in the realm of wanting to help people and do these physical therapies. Um, and then another life change came many years down the line, like after I divorced, um, um, I met my soulmate, you know, and this time it wasn't an arranged marriage. It was Dave, who was the love of my life, and I had the best 10 years with him. Um, he was um, the most beautiful soul who just helped me to grow into what I am today. And I can only say thank you, thank you, thank you. And Dave's been gone now, what, 14 years? Um, but he was not very different from me. He was part of me, if you see what I mean. But um, he shared my love of therapies. He knew a lot about therapies. And he was a, he kept things, he was an English guy and he kept a lot of things close to his heart and he was quite private. And yet at times I felt I knew him, but I didn't know him or bits about him because he was just a little bit, you know, private. And, um, but he just helped me to grow. You know, I'd never been on a retreat on my own before. I'd had such a sheltered childhood. I was brought up in a strict household, um, brought up with the um, belief system around Hinduism. I was born into a family who practiced, you know, worship and prayer. And, and it was lovely. And he embraced all this, you know, and um, he was into Buddhism as well and that kind of thing and into shamanism. And I didn't understand any of the energy medicines and I wasn't interested because I wasn't ready for it at that time. Mm -hmm. My soul wasn't calling for it. I was more on the physical therapies. And it was actually um, when Dave tragically got lung cancer all of a sudden and um, had nine months, was given the death sentence of nine months to live, um, my life changed. And um, I nursed him and he passed away. And, uh, and I was kind of just going through grief and trying to see what I'm gonna do with my life. When another tragedy struck two years later that I lost my younger son, Sanjay. Um, he was 17, he was an apple of my eye, he was the most beautiful soul and just decided to depart when I wasn't at home one day and I went to Scotland on a healing seminar and I've never left my children ever alone until this one point, left them alone for a weekend and went and I came back and Sanjay was in the morgue and it was like uh, my soul, it felt like my soul had left my body, which it had, um, not literally, but metaphorically mm -hmm. speaking, my whole world collapsed because I was still trying to grieve for Dave and bring my two boys up who were 17 and 19 at the time. And then Sanjay decided, this is the best time to go. Well, mum's not around, I'll go. And um, so his brother, Ajay, went through the whole thing of his brother couldn't breathe and had bronchopneumonia and it came on and he just died. Um, and so my life just, well, fell apart really. It just, my whole world, excuse me, fell apart. Yeah. And enemies. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you find that your time with Dave um, was a time when you were introduced to other forms of healing modalities that could help you through these difficult times? Yes. As yes. well. Yes. Um, so, so what did he introduce you to? With, you mentioned before that it was always a very physical healing with the massage that your mum taught you. Um, what other new awarenesses of, of different practices did you find that helped you through these difficult times? Yes, it, it was interesting. It was just before I met Dave, um, 
I was working as a local government officer and part-time I used to work for BBC Radio Oxford for the Asian programme and I was always looking for new material mm -hmm. and um, I interviewed a homeopath. Um, she was a lovely German lady and um, I interviewed her and I fell in love with homeopathy and I thought oh because I've always been interested in uh, Ayurveda and I was looking for something like that here and I lived in Oxford in those days and um, but there was nothing in London and I'm talking of good you know 20 25 years ago um, at that time in Ayurveda like a, a training uh, module or anything so the next nearest thing to homeopathy um, I mean homeopathy was the next best thing to Ayurveda um, and I fell in love with um, interviewing this woman for homeopathy mm -hmm. and uh, I just thought one day I will do this I didn't know when or how, but it just fed something inside me. It just resonated on a soul level. And I kind of just said to myself or the universe, I will do this and I've let go. Mm -hmm. And I think I've just realized what the secret is. You kind of have to let go of the outcome and not Absolutely. try and control it. Yeah. <laughs> and in my innocence, naivety or whatever, I just said one day I will do this and forgot about it. Mm -hmm. When my son was 14, bearing in mind, this was before I had children when I was interviewing this lady. And um, when my son was 14 and Dave was now in my life, he encouraged me because I didn't have finances. He said, I want to pay for you to go and study homeopathy. And you know, you love this. And so I did. And I enrolled and I went and, oh, it was just like, I can't even tell you. It was just like a, you know, I, I can't even put words to it, what it was like. It was challenging. It was tough at times, but it was a journey of not just learning homeopathy and the remedies and the medicine, but it was a whole new journey for me you know, and um, I was on this journey for two years when then Dave decided to study homeopathy with me because he'd been made redundant from his job as a, you know, he was a, a software developer and computer guy. And um, so I, he had a logical kind of a brain, which is what you need for homeopathy. You need to be a bit of a detective, which I felt... Mm. I work very intuitively and with yes, my intuition yes. rather than all the books and reading and because I feel it, I sense it and mm -hmm. that's my way of working. So he had the opposite. He was very logical, you know, and like a detective, very good. So he could like, you know, work with it. So he joined me and he studied it for a year before he became ill and then I stopped homeopathy two years into the, you know, course because I nursed Dave. And then I went back to it two months after Dave had passed. I didn't know I was going to go and continue with homeopathy. And whilst Dave was dying, I was mm -hmm. holding his hand. And I remember saying to him, fuck the homeopathy, I'm not going to go and do homeopathy, you know, I'm not doing it dingbat, because I used to call him dingbat, you know, and he, he could hardly speak, and he was holding my hand, and he was squeezing it, he says, you bloody well will, if I've got anything to do with it, <laughs> bless him, you know, he was a character, anyway, so um, two months after, I mean, it, it's, just wonderful how it happened, but I won't go into all the story. Mm -hmm. I went back to the same college and I ended up in Dave's class with his students and I couldn't believe it. And because Dave was such a private man, nobody in his class knew he'd passed away. Nobody knew why he wasn't coming and that he'd been ill. And they all saw me and they kept asking me, you know, and I burst out crying and I told them what had happened and and I ended up with his students and then um, 
the journey began. I was now in my third year and then I graduated, you know, did four years of this training, graduated. I used to live for homeopathy. I used to breathe it. I used to study it till four in the morning. I remember sometimes I used to forget about my children. He would do the tea for the children and cook them tea and take them out because I was always in my books because I loved it that much. And then everything changed again. You see, what happens, Rowena, when we go through life, we have as um, what I like to call mini deaths along the way. It's not always yeah. one great big death. It can be a mini death of a little circumstance. You know, a friendship breaks up and that's a mini death. You know, you go through a divorce, that's another death. And so the life, my life has been just like that. And um, so it was about learning to adapt learning to adapt to new flexibility because homeopathy is really about the essence of how we adapt to our environment. And therefore our bodies will react to that and embrace, you know, the homeostasis on a physical level. And our cells will tell us whether they're happy or not. And our gut will tell us, you know, and give us some messages if we are present to listen to it and hear it or sense it or feel it. But when trauma happens, and this is how trauma shapes all of our lives, I feel, uh, we are thrown out of our comfort zone, if you like, because it's something that you're not expecting. It's something out of the blue, frightening, shocking, where your central nervous system just closes down because it does that as a way of protecting you. Because, you know, if we were to face all the traumas that people go through every, we wouldn't be here. The world would not, well, that's in my book, survive. And I'm putting it in very simple terms, how I feel and see it and what this experience has shown me. And so it was about me learning to adapt because I, in the past, have not been a fond lover of change. I've had huge fears because I was literally a refugee when we came from Africa. We left all my animals, we left the dogs, I left my dolls, I left my toys. I have no photographs. I have one little photograph of me at my sister's wedding when I was six years old. I have no memories like lots of people have a box with all their little goodies in it. And I grieved. And I suppose from my childhood, the pattern has been of grief, you know, of the yes. loss of my home, of my identity, of not feeling a sense of belonging. And all my life, I'm 61 now, all my life, I've just been looking for home. And I realized I was always looking outside of myself for mm -hmm. home. I was running here. I was running from the grief because I couldn't cope with the pain. I couldn't cope with the pain of my boy not being here. He used to crack jokes. He used to make me laugh. And, you know, he was into rap and he was just fun, you know. Mm -hmm. And I used to sit and think, I wonder what he'd be doing now if he was here, you know. wonder what he would be looking like. And... All the normal things, you know, watching your children grow up and going through, you know, their milestones in life and, uh, and their rites of passage. And so I suppose I was grieving not only for Dave, for my son, I was grieving for my home, where my home is, sense of belonging. All this was such a huge loss. But I didn't realise what was going to open up for me because... I, you just never know what's around the corner. I think that's so interesting for me as well, that there can be the literal deaths and the, these terrible traumas that happen and the losses and the griefs in our families. And also, as you mentioned, the little deaths along the way, the grievings of, with, that come with change and but that always lead to an, a new kind of rebirth. And that sounds a bit cliched, but, but mm -hmm. they always eventually do when we meet mm -hmm. those changes inside, which can be so painful. But um, mm -hmm. it's so interesting to see these and to feel these, these kind of deaths of um, certain patterns, but, um, 
and as little glimpses of mini openings along the way that are always being shown to us, but we yes. can't see them sometimes. Yes. yes. Yes, and this is what the journey has, you know, brought me to more recently and then sort of qualified as a homeopath. When did you start seeing clients for me and well, when did you decide to do that? Yeah, it, it was quite tough because um, after having gone through and then my son, I wasn't able to function. No, no. I wasn't able to function and like I said, that was, I had all my books and the desire was there, but I, I couldn't read a book. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't mm -hmm. take in information anymore yeah. because of the trauma and how mm -hmm. it affected my body uh, on a cellular level, mm -hmm. how it affected the central nervous system. And, you know, so I wasn't really fully practicing homeopathy, but my love uh, was there still for it. Although I felt that the light had gone out somewhere that light is just beginning to reignite again. So I feel the universe really colludes with you and works with you when the time is right. And I've learned that it's about divine timing. And I've had to learn this through my own experience, not through reading books. I've got hundreds of books. Mm -hmm. how, how often I pick them off the shelf yeah. and read them, I don't. But really, the journey has been how we all have this innate wisdom how we all have this innate knowing but we cannot say and put our finger on it all the time and say i know this because of this but i don't know why i know but i do know and i trust that and that is so important because as a child since i was growing up and lots of things happen to us when we're children we have you know, nice things. We have horrible things happen. And some things we want to rub out of our memory forever and forget about. And some things we do remember and never forget about and never get over it or whatever, but making peace along with it along the way. But I really always have had this innate knowing mm -hmm. that no matter what, everything is going to be okay. I just knew it from the time I incarnated into this body, everything is going to be okay. And no matter whatever I go through, mm -hmm. the fear, you know, shit scared of this or whatever, but I just know it's all going to be all right. And it usually is. And it's and, proven to me. Yes, the, proven again and again. Yeah. And, and again you and won't again. mind me saying, Vimy, how you're recovering from from breast cancer and yes. how gosh so this is so recent so recent yes. yes and and how this innate wisdom has been such a source of truth to, to yes. you yeah. yes yes again yes. knowing again yeah yes knowing again and i had to go through another journey and of course mm. in between all this happening you know of Dave passing, my son passing, having to do all the practical things, getting my mm -hmm. son off to university mm -hmm. and everything. And I had a visit here to Cornwall and wanted to be by the sea because I felt just that nobody understood the grief. Nobody understood what I was going through. And when I stood at the ocean, the ocean took it all the ocean, the sea understood me and the sea never judged me. Mm -hmm. The sea never ignored me or walked away or crossed over the road because it couldn't face mm -hmm. my grief or my loss. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes even friends or I'd met, you meet people along the way, they don't know what to say because, you know, it is changing a lot in the west but the western way of people how they deal with grief or not deal with it because they feel uncomfortable it's not an open topic you know so much yeah. it is it is becoming a bit more with grief recovery and with death re um death cafes along are opening up and people are being more open but it's always been I feel in the west a bit of a taboo whereas mm -hmm. in the culture where I grow up, grew up I'm very open what you see is what you get darling if I'm feeling sad the tears are coming I cry 
Yes. You know, if I'm outside, I cry and people yes. can see. And I'm not ashamed of that, but that's what I've grown up with. And you grieve, you know, you'll see in the Muslim community, women will beat their chests and they will grieve for 40 days or whatever, you know. And so I felt that the sea was holding me, nurturing me, and I had to learn to be really gentle and kind to myself because I realized that I was the harshest critic. Mm -hmm. I beat myself up. I carried guilt and blame. And if I hadn't gone to Scotland, Sanjay would still be here today. And if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that, you know, and what if this and what if that? And this is what happens when you go through grief and you're blaming yourself all the time. Yeah. So what a beautiful homecoming in a way welcomed by the sea I think that's so beautiful Vimy yeah and I yeah. think that's such that you know the beauty and the teacher of nature and bringing us back to our yeah. our home that's always inside yes. and that's and that when you mentioned before about the wisdom that's in all of us it's also bigger as as you said as well you know it's also bigger than all of us it's something that isn't our our ego wisdom it's yes. something that is essentially always here yes. and um and it's embodied by the waves and the sea and, and everything that is. And yeah, I, I was interested as well in the other areas. Um, so about the cranial work that you've been doing yes, and, and yes. what that is, um, it's all combined and it all helps with, um, with grief and very difficult emotions that have to be felt in order to yes. be expressed yes. and released so yes. do you find do you find you can do that on yourself or, or what actually is it yes. if you could explain you can. well um yes cranial sacral therapy is um a therapy that i sort of found out about while i was training to do homeopathy mm -hmm. and i'd heard about it from one of our lecturers and i thought oh i'd like to try this so i went along to a osteopath who worked with babies and children and in oxford and and i had this most gentle therapy it's non-invasive and you lay there just with your clothes on and what the therapist does is works with your field she works with your central nervous system Cranio means basically the cranium. Sacral is our sacrum, you know, and in this whole system is the intelligence of our body. It holds the innate wisdom and it has this intelligence like the ocean. And I realized when I moved here, ah, it was calling me home, you know, and I thought I'm home, but I was still looking. I was still looking and part of me felt I was home because the sea's beautiful. It helped me and with the grief and everything. And I went on to study this at the Karuna Institute, which is like a Buddhist um, center um, in Dartmoor. And oh, it was the most beautiful, just like my homeopathy. I was so blessed to be in the right place at the right time with the right people. And it wasn't so much about doing this as a course so that I can help other people. This was really another journey to heal the wounded self. The, the, the self is never wounded, but my inner child that was so wounded and I couldn't come to terms with the losses. So it was another journey for that. And uh, it was most empowering. It wasn't without its sad times and painful times and having to look at everything. It was unpicking everything and looking at it and then having to transcend it and look at the mm -hmm. bigger picture and knowing that the universe has your back because it's really what I've discovered that you're always taken care of no matter what. The universe always has your back and never lets you down. And so that's where my courage came from. So that was five years ago when I, because I studied homeopathy 14 years ago, and then never really got it off the ground, but still have a passion for it somewhere. And then the cranial uh, work was born and... Oh, it was incredible. And I remember when I first, um, you know, you, you, we work with our hands with the cerebral spinal fluid. This is a fluid that's released from the ventricles of the brain, which is like our third eye. And it's encased within our spinal cord. And really, 
it's like we're working with the ocean. So if you're standing with, um, you know, you're looking out to the ocean and you're seeing the vastness of the ocean, how expansive it is. You can't see where it starts and where it ends. It's infinite. And that's what we are. Mm -hmm. We are infinite beings. We are infinite space. And I really got it. I really got it. And I was so excited because you can read about this stuff, but it's not until you embody it, you get it, you know. And I was standing at the ocean. I remember I was a student in the therapy at the time. And I was looking and I was there bare feet on the sand, grounding, connecting to the earth, to Pachimama, Mother Earth holding me, you know, so just like the oak tree, you know, mm -hmm. and you're looking out at the ocean, the tides going out and the tides coming in. And that's what we feel mm -hmm. in another system, central nervous system. These are the tides that we work with. We work with what's called a long tide where, you know, when you're looking out beyond the sea and it's just infinite and you can't see, you don't know what's beyond there, but there is such a sense of calmness, stillness, where there's nothing, just nothing. It's so beautiful. And before we can even sometimes get to that long tide, we have to go through feeling the fluid, the cerebral spinal fluid. We feel the rhythms of this fluid. And we feel this in the body. And sometimes there's a mid-tide, the fluids um, are not, they get a bit jarred along the way because our lives are not always calm and still and happy. You know, we can have thousands of emotions in one morning, let alone a whole day to think, well, we don't know what's going to happen. The postman can bring good news and it's your birthday and you've got cards and your vibration has changed. Or somebody can call you up and give you sad news and your vibration changes again. So you'll have different experiences along the way. So you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, so the short tide is very much our, our human existence, isn't it? It's on the day-to-day, yeah, the, -day, yeah. the experience yeah. of, of our humanness and yeah. where the long tide it seems to me is 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 that which is always always okay and never touched yeah. by that short tide yeah, yeah. um which is so like Advaita Vedanta isn't it that's yes. it's just such yes. another beautiful expression of it it is and it is a beautiful expression of it and it's really interesting where I went to study this train to do this course all these people were you know um, looking out of the physical, you know, normal stuff. They were all thinking outside the box, if you like, and they were all wise souls and all to do with, you know, Vedanta and like you say, or the Muji people, you know, people, because yeah. I, I, I'd moved to Cornwall and it was just, I knew I was in the right place with the sea. I found Muji, my spiritual master, yeah, yeah months just after I'd moved here. I'd never been to a satsang. I didn't know anything. And I ended up, you know, my first satsang in um, talking to Muji about my grief and just giving it to him on a plate. I thought satsang was like, you go and talk to Muji like you go for a counseling session. I was that naive. Like he's your counselor. He's sitting up there on the stage. You can ask him questions and he answers your questions. And, and that's, you know, I'm shooting in my pants, you know, standing, I'm going there. And he hadn't even chosen me, but I'm there, you know. <laughs> like, I don't know. And again, where the courage comes from, these things, you just don't know. It was like, not my legs. And I wasn't picking myself from taking me. It was like, yeah. there was a force behind yeah. me. I was in the right place, right time. I met yeah. my master. And now another path was opening up for me, all to help me to heal from all the stuff that I was finding quite challenging in my life. And that was like facing death. That has yeah. been my greatest, greatest fear as a child. Every child has a fear that they're gonna lose their mom and dad. And that's horrific, horrible feeling. But that fear never ever left me after I'd experienced the deaths that I, because you know, watching, going Dave going through the whole process of yeah. being ill and seeing him go I didn't unfortunately have that experience with my son he 
went without me having to go through that. But since then, I've been through with my mother, my brother-in-law, and it just seems that I'm called upon this to do this work. So I realized that I was a bit scared of death. Well, not a bit, I was shit scared, put it that way. And the more scared I was, the more I was running here, the more I was there, the more the universe was trying to say, okay, so you think you're this body and you're invisible and you're this, and I've had to face it. I've had to face the shit straight on, especially with the recent diagnosis in November that I've got breast cancer. And so that was another big whammy. And uh, I thought, okay, now, where do I go from here? And I've had to go through the fear. I've had to look at my own mortality. And I have finally, finally, I can finally say, I've made peace with the grief. It's taken a while. It doesn't matter how long it takes. You never forget your loved ones. And why should you? Why should you? They're part of your life, you know? And um, part of your, and your cells remember these experiences. And this is a beauty about the cranial work because Although it has its roots in osteopathy, traditional osteopathy, but one of the doctors branched off and made it into, turned it into cranial sacral therapy. When we work biodynamically, which is the way I like to work, and that was the way I was trained, we're working not only from our field, we're working in another's bio field. And what an honor it is, Rowena. Yeah. yeah. What? beautiful work it is because you're working in the sacredness mm -hmm. of another's field mm -hmm. it's like a woman who is pregnant and is carrying a child we it's that intimate yeah. that relationship with the mother and the baby there's no separation so you're working in each other's field and so when I sense the fluids or the rhythm of these fluids, and when there has been trauma, and let's face it, who hasn't had trauma, you know, of any kind, it could be falling over and twisting your ankle or breaking your leg, still a trauma, doesn't have to be a death of a loved one, you know, and, um, but when we're working with this, the fluids will show up where the blocks are, where the trauma is so when we look at the sea and sometimes the sea is a bit wild and it comes the waves come high and they smash against the rock and there's a big splash well we feel that in the system in the mm -hmm. cranial nervous system we feel it because that's like where we find ah there's a bit of a fulcrum here and that's where the body's intelligence comes in because a body parks these little traumas, if you like, because we can't deal with everything all at once. When we're stable, then we can deal with the trauma. It will show itself up. And the therapist will guide you and take you to the edge of that trauma if you're ready. Somatically, we can have a dialogue with it. Yeah. You know, we can, yeah. you know, we, if the person that you're working with is open to it, we have a dialogue with it. And then we deal with it. We're taking, mm -hmm. we're doing, you know, and we're releasing it. And it's not very dissimilar from the shamanic work I do. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. when uh, it's a bit like, you know, when after Sanjay died, I was taken on a shamanic path. I didn't know what a shaman was. <laughs> I ended up, you know, in Peru, working with the shamans, taking me to every, I was out of my body. I didn't know what was happening. I was just going along with it all, you know, left my house, left everything and I've gone. And a uh, whole month in Peru and a shaman took me under his um, wing and uh, he knew he could see my field, what had happened to me. And he, I had the most profound healing from elder shamans and everything. Took me to the Amazon. I'd never done ayahuasca. I'd never done drugs in my life. And, you know, and then... They gave me a medicine bundle called my mesa with stones in and my sacred stones. And, and they said, this is your work. Take it to the West. I haven't got a bloody clue what I was doing when I came back. I remember crying my eyes out at Lima Airport. I didn't want to come back. I had to come back because of my living son. If it wasn't for Ajay, 
forget the house and everything I would have just stayed there yeah you know yeah. and I, I came and then I didn't know what I was doing Rowena how it all unfolded for me I don't even till today have a card a website leaflets yeah, <laughs> I Apologies as well for all the noises downstairs. There are workmen in the house, so there are drills. I can't hear anything. You're oh, all right. Oh, that's brilliant. That's great. <laughs> I remember you mentioned earlier that that now there's a, a new strength and courage and awakening and a light that, that you're getting ready now to, to do yes. this work again. Yes. And there's a, yes. a natural excitement or an interest and enthusiasm that's growing yeah. into yes. doing this again. And I was going to ask you about perhaps your future ideas for the business and, and what you were hoping to, yes. to offer perhaps yes. to locals or internationally yes. yes it's really been interesting because this latest um, journey with cancer and it's an ongoing thing and yes i don't know what's going to happen but do you know what i'm really excited <laughs> i can honestly say with the first time in in my life that i'm actually happy i you know i can't remember like truly being at peace you know, and being really happy. And I know that I am bigger than this before, you know, it was all about the grief. It was all about that. But I know now, I, there was always this innate knowing, but something has changed and a big shift has come in through all this letting go. Yeah. Because these are just words when we say to yes. another, let go, yes. let go, yeah. let go. But you know, when you're going through it, when you're experiencing whatever it is you're experiencing, it doesn't matter how small it is for you, you are going through that. Your body is experiencing it on a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual level. Mm -hmm. And we have to honor that. And I really used to get the big stick out, beat myself. I don't do that anymore, Rowena. I've read Louise Hay, I've read all that, did it years ago, and I can read it all again. But until we are ready in ourselves to turn that yes. switch, yeah. nothing can change it. And do you, but, do you find as, as well, sorry for me, and all of these practices, they're so important. You know, I think for myself as well, I've been through somatic healing practices and releasing from the body, because it's so true that the body keeps the score as well as one aspect. So as our human incarnation, we have all of this in the body and that can be through generations and ancient lineage. And I really feel that that's one aspect. And the more we can release, the more the truth is revealed that's always here. Yeah. So yeah. as long as I think as well, there comes a point when you're not your trauma, you, you realize like you were saying about the sea, even though it's gripping and very real and, and necessary to work through and you feel like it's going to break you completely there's something that happens there's such a peace that comes with also the recognition like you say that you're not your body and though these traumas and griefs are, are so awful so unspeakably awful in, in many cases they're not who we essentially are the truth of who we really are so all of the trauma releasing through all of these practices is another way of getting to and experiencing not even reading about it but when we're ready we experience that we can honor all of those things but they're just making space for the light to be there that's always there you know it's always there and yeah. that's the truth of yeah. who we are with all yeah. of these layers of the trauma and that's not to belittle them at all and we have to be compassionate about them and but yeah do you find that you know with your work that all of it is about really finding and connecting again with the light that's never left that's always yes. there yes yes because really we have to remember who we are yes, who we exactly. truly are we've yes. forgotten that we are children of the sun yes. you know we've forgotten the shaman always says it's always about remembering who we are it's like if we look at the cycles of nature 
we have winter, the leaves fall off the trees, you know, in autumn they change colour, they fall mm. off and then the trees are bare and springtime happens, crocuses come out, bluebells come out, the birds are singing, the berries are on the trees, you know, it's not any different in our life exactly. if we are awake to it if we can see the beauty and smell the flowers or the roses mm -hmm. there is that english saying we walk past it and we forget because sometimes the mind is so busy you know taking us on this journey and that journey and and these are our thoughts and it's always going to be there and it's just learning um the journey for me has been because I have a very overactive mind and God will have me on one if I <laughs> give it the chance, you know. And But I think what, what really has helped me on this journey with all the experiences through the, you mm -hmm. know, not finding myself or my home and all the pilgrimages I've been on with Muji and the spiritual pilgrimages I've been on India and... Uh, everything else I've found that I am home now and I just feel that I have come to shine my light and how I was hiding my light under a bushel I was hiding but maybe that's a bit of a harsh word um you know to be even more kind and gentle to myself it was a necessity at that time what I had to do and be in the closet Whereas I'm ready to come out of that closet now. And, and that's wonderful. And I think this gentleness and this um, kindness, yes. I think naturally the practices that you do and your path as well has been one of um, really opening up to how it's the gentle, self-compassionate, self-loving practices yes. that are the ones that are going to be the most healing. Yes. And I yes. think these naturally appeal to sensitives and empaths and because they are that you know quite often yeah. in that's how they're conducted and and often the practitioners hopefully are yeah. sensitive and, um, yeah. and listening and yeah. and gentle in their approach to working with their clients so for me do you have a name for your business um and you what know, are you I, hoping I, I, how does it look in, in two years no, time what will you no, be doing no i have no time. name <laughs> but, but ironically i mean i have not even thought about what we were going to talk about or anything this just happened yeah. organically yeah. Yeah, but it was interesting when I was with Muji last year and I was at Sahaja, which is my spiritual home or everybody's spiritual home, I would like to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, Muji gave me a spiritual name and I'm feeling very, very honoured by that. And um, the name is Savika, mm -hmm. which means servant of God. And when he gave me this initiation, I cried and I cried and I cried. And I looked in Muji's eyes and I said, how did you know God? I mean, how does God know? Well, God knows everything, you know? I cried and I cried. I said, how did you know? Because all my life from ever since I could remember, all I've been asking is, how may I serve thee? How may I serve you, God? And that time is now. And so and, I'm finding my way. I feel I've gone through, a re I have to reinvent myself. I've gone through a rebirth. It really feels like that now. And, yeah. you know, it just feels the old is gone. It's not me anymore. It's, it was never who I was. But the mind was believing it was me. Yes. But it's not, yeah. Yeah. you know. And I've discovered since last year, uh, when I just got the diagnosis, if I quickly may say, about uh, anybody who's interested in working with me or together, I work as a mentor with them. I work through Skype. If we're not able to do it through person, I do shamanic work. I also work homeopathically. I have a toolkit. I use remedies. I use oils. I use, um, you know, all, all, all my tools that I need. And um, the grief recovery method is another thing that I explored when I just got my diagnosis of cancer and this is relatively new in the west because it's it's kind of came to be born because how we were not embracing death and grief mm. 
really. And um, so I specialized in this now as well, which it's not like psychotherapy, but it's an action, action program, which we're now even taking into schools to help children even deal with the loss of their pets. Oh. And even the loss of their siblings, because children just do not know and sometimes adults don't know how to communicate with yeah. a child yeah. about yeah. grief. Should we talk about this or should mm -hmm. we not talk about that? And it's about moving beyond loss, you know, yes. Um, yes. and suffering and pain. And, and really it's, you know, so whether it's illness, losing your job, going through a divorce, a loved one, a child losing somebody, and how grief recovery addresses post-traumatic stress and trauma. So all the work I do is around trauma resolution in a nutshell. Oh, wonderful, Vimy. And I'll put your email address, if that's okay, yes, underneath yes. in the podcast notes. Yes. And so people can contact you via email. And I know that you're soon to be in the process of creating your website maybe <laughs> when no one is ready and I can help you with that if you want it to. to be a new baby because I've never done anything like that it's always been people find me you know wherever yeah. I am I don't know yeah. how but they do yeah but, and but, yeah thank you thank yeah. you so much to have this opportunity because we have to shine our light. We have to show our magnificence. And when we come out, you know, it, it's like I really feel um, like rising out of the ashes. You know what I mean? Yes, I've absolutely. Been in, I've, I've yeah. been in those embers too long. Definitely. And watching other people do this and watching you do this, it's just so inspiring to everybody else. And it makes them think, gosh, yeah, I can do this yes, too. absolutely. It's infectious. And that's what we need. We need more lights shining at yes, the moment. Because they're all here. Right. Because the yeah. planet, we're all going, undergoing through so much change. And, yes. and now there's so much fear of COVID and everything and you know and yeah. you just think okay I can choose the path of going down the fear route or I have a choice and yeah. I can choose the love path yes you know so what a beautiful what, choice <laughs> yes and and I was never I was never awoken to this before yeah but this yeah. this whole journey just recently it became very clear to me in my dreams that Yes, the name suggests I'm a servant of God and how may I serve? And this is my way of serving the whole. And yes. if, you know, and that, and it's not about money for me or anything else. It's just about love. And it's the gifts that the universe has endowed upon me to share with others and to help empower them just like the way God has helped me to be oh, here to share it. Yes. So, oh, um, it's so wonderful for you to be here to share it and here to share it as well. But, oh, Vimy, so wonderful to know you. And um, I think that's a really good place to perhaps end this podcast it's yes. just over an hour so okay. that's wonderful if unless there's anything else you'd like to say no no i i have nothing else to say i mean it's just that you know just keep shining your light yes to all <laughs> we're all beautiful us. souls don't hide me yeah. don't hide your light you know because yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all have a gift we all have a gift and Maybe God has put me on this planet at this particular time to, to get this out there as well. And, and you know, there's enough for everybody. We're yes. all connected. There is no separation. So there's no scarcity, is there? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this first conversation episode with Vimna Sharma and it was just such a joy to speak to Vimy and even though there was a lot of drilling and hammering going on downstairs because a, a wood-burning stove is being installed in my house at the moment um, I was slightly worried at one point that it would just be too noisy and I, I 
didn't want that in the background of Finney's wonderful conversation. Um, but luckily, amazingly, none of that shows up on the recording. But anyway, it's such an inspiring life and such excitement about the work ahead for Vimy and all that she's going to be offering. What a beautiful person to work with on all these areas. So please do have a look below the podcast for details on how to contact Vimy and see you again next time. Thanks very much. Bye.